I'm Justin. I'm, I'm Frank. Now I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Frank. I'm Tom. Tom. We're Plaid Lads. How's it going, my little babies? I'm pretty it, good, Justin. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing fine, I guess. I'm not great. Whatever. I don't want to talk about it. That's the spirit. Tom, you? Uh, pretty much the same. Uh, I got a show tomorrow. It's really far away. It's in a little town called Reading, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah, it's far away and. Uh, it's a college show. Uh, it should be pretty fun, but once again, it's pretty inconvenient because it's all the way out in Reading, Pennsylvania. How about you? Frank? I'm letting you guys do that. You're letting us do that? Yeah. No, I, I thought you guys wanted me to join in on. Oh no 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 no! I'm letting that be a bit between you. So it's going to be kind of weird. Uh, I haven't been to a college party since I was in college, and. Uh, I have a feeling I'm going to find it pretty disturbing to see a bunch of, like, 20-year-olds getting shit-faced and being nearly 30 and just having, like, I'm, I don't want to party with a bunch of 20-year-olds, and I'm going to have to stay pretty sober because I have to drive home because I got work the next day. So I'm just going to have to be standing there. It's really it's really sweet. The guy who's running it is like, like oh, so, like, we're going to do a sound check. By the way, like, I've got dinner covered. I'm going to get some pizzas. And uh, <laughs> do you like, like, is PBR good for you? <laughs> and he's like... Two years ago, um, for New Year's Eve, uh, my uh, uh, girlfriend's sister's boyfriend, they were still in college at Temple at the time, so we went to their friend's apartment near Temple, and I've never felt older in my entire life. I felt like I was 40 years old. These people, they were children uh, drinking alcohol to unreasonable degrees uh how's it going frank <laughs> it's going pretty well um I, I have a job interview tomorrow that i'm very excited about oh can you tell us where it's at um it, I, actually i might this time because a uh, little behind the scenes bts tip for you out there in listener land we have tried to talk about this like literally three times <laughs> and it has not worked out um uh it, it's for bleep which you're you're gonna have to bleep i think uh well i think you're just like i i'm more concerned about you jinxing yourself that's than true yeah by by the way it's like you didn't say which bleep so uh the bleep well now you've done it yeah now i've done it <sighs> I'm just going to bleep that. Yeah. Like with an actual bleep, I'm going to come in and just go bleep. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Uh, is that everybody? Did we get everybody? Justin, yeah. I, I want to talk about your feelings, but we can save that. Well, I mean, we've got a little time. Come on, Justin. What's wrong? I don't have feelings. Yes, I you don't do. feel things. I am things. You I'm being... I am man. I am God. I am all. 
Speaking of insane ramblings, how about <laughs> politics and good fucking God? Oh, what a shitty week. We are in the week of October. It's the first week of the month. <laughs> and uh, stuff. I, as I have been. not been. Uh, I have not felt this despondent about uh, politics since um, November 8th, 2016. Mm. So the past like two weeks, these past two weeks have just been brutal. I'm so concerned that this guy's going to get appointed. And uh, I, I guess I, I looked for the echo chamber to kind of hear the rational sounding voice confirm all my fears. And it came in the form of a Reddit comment in a comment thread where this guy just basically, of course the Senate's going to approve him. He's going to shield the president from prosecution Mm -hmm. and the beginning of the Republican party, Russian hegemony uh, will begin and it'll be the death of democracy. And I'm sitting there going, Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And, uh, I'm super worried that this guy's going to get in and like the Republicans calling uh, the Democrats obstructionists, which is fucking, fucking rich. rich. Oh, my God. Uh, and but I almost want to say kill fucking yourself, rich. Uh, you're late, Justin. But I almost want to be like, yeah, a fucking course. I feel like they shouldn't even hide it anymore. They should fucking just come out and just say, yeah, we're trying to fucking save the union. Uh, so I'm very concerned about that and, and I'm just going to throw, I'm going to throw this out there so you can run my face in it in a few months, but if November doesn't go well. And when I say doesn't go well, I don't mean we don't win as, as Democrats enough seats. I mean, like I'm talking the shit show where Trump is already laying the ground saying that China is interfering on behalf of the Democrats, probably completely baseless, but he's throwing it out there just to plant the seed of doubt after the election. If shit goes wrong. Uh, I've got some uh, alternate citizenship that I might avail myself of, and uh, sorry, guys. Civil War Two uh, sequel to Civil War One. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Uh, <laughs> people are trying to calm me down the election night when Trump won, and I guess my mind just played it all out, and I realized that yeah, any American civil war will doubtlessly turn into a world war. Uh, Russia would enter on the side of the uh, the evil plaid lads, and uh, maybe Europe would come to the uh, uh, democratic side, uh, democratic uh, lowercase d capital, in the sense that believing in democracy. Uh, yeah, so uh, maybe I can hide from it in a little my little island nation of Ireland for a couple years, or not. We'll see, but. Uh, I ain't yeah, scared. Th- these really do feel like end times. I ain't Politics. scared. <laughs> do I'm we want to actually talk about the nitty gritty? Um. Oh, I'm worried about everything all the time. Uh, I think that the um, the the collapse of America, in terms of the idea of America worldwide and the idea of America at home. Uh, that was inevitable. Um, it was always gonna happen. Empires fall; they fall, you know, historically. Um, nobody lasts forever in the cold November rain. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, Trump was the the beginning of the end. And uh, here we are; we're we're accelerating towards something, and I don't know what that something is, but it's gonna be bad, and it's gonna be bad for a lot of people. Um, 
problem one being one side of this issue has way more guns at their disposal than the other side. Well, <laughs> uh, I've got uh, I. It's weird. I've I'm very liberal, and in a sane world, I would believe that having so many guns in civil civilian society is a terrible idea. But we live in crazy cartoon upside down land, and uh, lately I've been finding myself getting kind of uh, uncharacteristically uh, pro Second Amendment because it's like, yeah, let's make this fair. They're armed. Oh yeah, we should like, be armed. Uh, in, in a fight between us not having guns and then ha- them having guns, we lose. We we lose that street fight every time. Yeah, you can't you can't bring civil disobedience to a uh, mass shooting. No, no. To put it as glibly as humanly possible, do we do we need to add our our contributions to this Brett Kavanaugh shakedown? I mean, can we say anything that hasn't, or should we just say it for the sake of as like a just to do it? Um, yeah, this repugnant, depraved, sex criminal. Uh, alcoholic gambling addict uh liar fucking liar and a liar liar serial liar oh, i'm sorry no 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 perjurer perjurer uh, misleading yes. the yeah. senator uh fucking completely biased political operative behaving in no way shape or form like somebody to be appointed to the highest court of the land yeah this this debased fucking pig brett kavanaugh this fucking hog um uh, last week to the day, testified after Dr. Christina Blasey Ford uh, gave her own testimony, which I don't know how you could watch her testimony and think anything other than she is telling the truth. He fucking did it. And I don't know how you could watch him get up there and mule and cry like a fucking weakling, like the weakling that he is. Uh, and scream about how unfairly he's being treated. He has a lifetime appointment to the second highest court in the land, and it's not enough for him. He needs more. He needs more, and the fact that he's not going to get it makes him wet wet his fucking diaper. Because all his life has been privilege and power. I mean, I'll just I'll throw every so many people I've heard commentators have arrived to this conclusion as well. But I'll just, uh, I arrived to it myself, so I'll just throw it out there that regardless of sort of the metaphysics of whether or not he did X, Y, or Z, his performance in front Pathetic, of the Senate terrible. by itself was disqualifying in and of itself. Yeah. Um, uh, revealing I, partisanship way beyond what the Supreme Court should have and uh, not behaving in any way like the studious, disinterested uh, kind of closest thing we have to philosopher kings he was behaving like a complete buffoon instead of somebody who's on the supreme court he wasn't this fucking chugalug dipshit is supposed to have this brilliant legal mind and the best way that he can advocate for himself in front of the senate judiciary committee these fucking undead ghouls was to say i like beer this is the fucking best legal mind the federalist society could come up with joke yeah, and I think the the most annoying thing with watching the red wave, uh, fascist wave, destroy the earth again, 
uh, is that, uh, yeah, that it's working. These idiots are working. But you know what? That's not new. Mussolini was a fucking joke. He was a fucking uh, journalist joke who everyone despised. Reagan was a fucking joke. Boris Johnson uh, continues to be a joke uh, and still derailed uh, the UK. Silvio uh, fucking Berlusconi was a joke. Bunga bunga. Yeah. How you doing, Justin? <laughs> I'm not doing good. <laughs> are, are you not doing good because of what we talked about? Because of everything. Yeah. It's all bad. Everything's bad. But, uh, yeah, no. Um, ooh, it's if like being, being alive, alive today, today <laughs> is like uh, being a person who found a big throbbing lump on their testicle and is mm. just choosing to ignore it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it, yeah, you get a 50-50 shot. And you're just... It's like... It's the only way to go. Because... Well, it's like being the person who found that lump, but living before the invention of medicine, but still knowing what it is. It's just... Mm. It's going to play out the way it's going to play out. But there in the back of your mind, as you go about your daily business, uh, the wheels of apocalypse are turning. <laughs> Uh yeah, it's 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 bad out there, man. Frank, it's... do you have any uh, Irish-born grandparents? I do. You do? Born on the island of Ireland? Uh, born on the island of Ireland, I believe, on my uh, my, my grandmother's side. I think. Well, I mean, it's got to be either. It's got to be one of your grandparents. Uh, nope, nope. I think both my grandparents were born stateside then. Well, uh, it was nice knowing you. Have fun in the camps. Uh, no, but yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing about. Here's the fucking thing about all of this shit. Here's the fucking thing. I love that we have a format. Now. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. But here's here's the fucking thing with 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 Kavanaugh and and his fucking bullshit. This is just an extension of of the whole Trump thing. So it is still just one thing, right? It's a catastrophic, terrible, awful thing, but it is still just the one thing. Now the, the time's up movement, right? One of the, one of the great things to come, uh, from this time Agreed. of the, of mm. the Trump presidency wouldn't have happened without it would not have happened without it has yet to touch the political spectrum except for uh, Al Franken, Al Franken bits and pieces of of uh, uh, people who uh, are on the right side of things, but are awful men, right? Okay. Yeah. There is a lot of room, I believe, for hope today in this age. Speak on Go it. Go on. Speak on it, King. I think... <laughs> Okay, it's like this, right? In the cadence of Martin Luther King. All right, so there is, there's, there's, uh, we're all in a pan when we're, a, we are water, uh, um, and there's this fire, right? This fire that uh, that runs shit, you know, the machinery of of this nation, and it's uh, evil devil fire. It's it's hellfire that is as uh, 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 making us boil over. We're boiling, and it's painful, and it hurts, and it it's it's unfucking bearable. But as it boils and it boils, well. It's going to boil over and put out that fucking fire and they'll all burn in hell in their cold freezing hell next to Lucifer himself and and Brutus. <laughs> and, um, it is it is a, a time for hope. 
in the darkest of times. Do you remember the stories they used to tell Mr. Frodo about the when they had the chance to go, turn back? But there is good in the world, Mr. Frodo, and that's worth fighting for. God, Justin. God damn it, boy. Totora Bloomberg 2028. I've been pronouncing it Totora this whole time. You have been. I thought that was on purpose. Yeah. No, it was it was by accident. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> now, am, have I been pronouncing your name correctly, Frank McDipshit? <laughs> 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 Zing! And with that uplifting speech, Plaid, lads, let's go, go to, to the, the movies! Bye-bye, life. Bye-bye, <laughs> happiness. happiness. It's yeah. showtime, folks! Today we're discussing Bob Fosse's 1979 masterpiece, All That Jazz! Oh, so good. There's no business like, like show, show business, business like, like no business I know. So much singing in this episode. Uh, so yes, uh, should we do a little? Yeah, let's do a little synopsis. Let's so, do a little synopsis. We got uh, what is it? Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider plays plays. I forget his name. Joe Gideon. Uh, Gideon. Gideon. He plays a uh, a famous director choreographer um, who is uh, much like Bob Fosse himself. Exactly, exactly. He's dealing, he's facing his own mortality, literally. Mm. He's burning the candle on both ends as during the day he choreographs and and helps produce a Broadway show. And at night he goes and edits his long overdue and over budget film uh, is it a is it a narrative film about a stand-up yes, comic? Yes, it's, it's, it's called the, um, uh, it's called funny the comedian. people uh, starring Adam oh, Sandler. <laughs> Amy, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is actually based on um, Fosse's experience making the uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein movies. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Frank, feel free to correct him at any time. Frank, you take no, over this part. Uh, I'm pretty I'm, sure I've that, got some thoughts. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, so he spends most of his day when he's not uh, editing this movie that, as Tom said, is over budget and overdue, and this production that he's trying to get off the ground, um, but investors just aren't biting. Uh, and the, the people who run the theater are just not into it because there's too much sex in his oh uh, productions. Um and he spends his day then drinking and taking amphetamines and, and having, having a sex good time. with ladies. Yeah. And the whole thing is framed and interspersed and uh, with a sort of uh, weird... Alt- he, it's a bardo, to use the word of our time, and also ancient Tibet. Uh, he's in this sort of nether limbo land that is also a soundstage where mm. he is uh, surrounded by the accoutrement of uh, show business, and he is in a flirtatious conversation uh, with a beautiful woman in white who we pretty quickly realize is the manifestation of death. Played by uh, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Beautiful. Perfectly. Beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. Perfectly. I always enjoy seeing Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Jessica Mackey. You know who I 
I forget is in this movie, and I sit up and cheer every time. Uh, Wallace Shawn. When yes. he shows up at the end, I Wallace Shawn and John Lithgow. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I sit up and cheer whenever I see that little man. I uh, I love it. He has he has one line. I'm disappointed that he had that line. Yeah. I was because it was going on. I was like, oh, he's just there. He's just being there, <laughs> being a weird little toad man. But then he does speak. He does speak. He has one line, and it's, uh, you might be the first Broadway show in history to not open and make a profit. I don't know if I like this movie or hate it. Mm. or love it. Mm. I honestly don't know. I love this movie. And there are multiple reasons for that. Let me let me start by saying the miracle within this film is whoever was the fucking editor. Yes. Oh, it's genius. It is um the sharpest most beautiful beautifully cut film I've seen. It's I I I haven't seen a film that has been told so much through the editing. Yeah, the way it constructs all of the different perspectives through the editing is brilliant. Just take a moment to imagine the catastrophe this would have been if this was allowed to be one of those slow-paced 70s movies. Oh, oh mm. uh, I have a few thoughts on that. One, this is a lightning-fast paced movie from the 70s which means it's a normal watchable movie now <laughs> it's it's lightning fast for Blistering. about an hour and a half and then the last half hour it gets punishingly slow but yeah. that does not mean i don't love it beautifully though yes yeah um i had this very specific thought and that it, it felt like this that this was a 70s movie and it was like three hours long and the editor Justin, I think we all as like kind of as artists have experienced this thing where you just get really frustrated and you just smash it. <laughs> and just in like uh, four hours, he came out with this and was like, whole uh, what? Okay. No, no, this is so delicately placed. I've been watching the great British uh, baking show. Oh, and it's yeah. like this movie is like a 17 layered cake that is so precarious. Um, and I think part of my feelings on the movie is that. Yeah. Um, it is that precariousness, which I think is um, a point of the movie that it never settles in. It is constantly floating. At no point does this movie touch ground, nope. which made me so fucking anxious during the movie. I don't dislike that. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I had a similar kind of... Um I don't want to call it ambivalence because my, my point, you're trying to sort out if you like it or love it or hate it or whatever. My thing is that I, I feel like my my personal relationship to it uh, is completely irrelevant. This thing just is a fucking thing. And it's, it's almost like you wonder if Gideon had any true relationships in his life. I don't think I had a true relationship with this film, but it was just so fucking... Um, ghostly and surreal and you're looking for the connection and it's just such a perfect i didn't live through it uh thank god but sort of the embodiment of what i'm told is that 
perfect 70s New York City filth. <laughs> oh, man. I love watching movies from the bad old days of New York when uh, everything yep. is gross. The city had no money. Um, it was disgusting. It's actually New York is weirdly sort of getting back to there now because the MTA is on fire. Um, yeah, still still burning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, gross 70s and 80s New York. It's it's like a weirdly comforting and it's almost place it's this, to be. It's this weird thing where it's at that perfect point in uh, American sexual history where the starry-eyed innocence of the sexual revolution of the 60s has worn off. And frankly, the bodies in the movie, yeah, there's the young dancers, but there's also the body of, of Gideon. We see the heart of the body in one of my favorite, most so graphic uh, sequences when they do the open-heart surgery in and, yeah. and stunning detail where I wonder, did they sit around waiting for somebody to get open-heart surgery? I mean, there was nothing about that that seemed like it wasn't real. I would guess that they spliced in footage. Yeah. That could be the case. Um, they or, might have found or, B-roll. Or they got somebody to sign off on their surgery. <laughs> yeah. Or they just found the homeless man. It was the 70s, yeah. after all. I mean, who knows? Roy Scheider was probably the kind of guy who was uh, smoking cigarettes and drinking <laughs> scotch until his heart exploded. So maybe he had to get a bypass. And they were just... Like, and they just said, fuck it, we'll put it in the movie. Yeah, it's that filth. And yeah, it's it, uh, so so the, 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 the starry eyed sort of innocence of the 60s sexual and everybody's just older and haggard. But it was before HIV. And it was mm. before sort of sort of uh, the morality, uh, the Reaganistic morality was scared back into us by the ghostly hand of death. Uh, so, uh, it was just tired and gross and seventies fried and, uh, just, uh, excessive. And it it had something I kind of want to talk about, which is before that really sexual, uh, piece, uh, he reworks a very camp tune, uh, that we hear earlier when we see like a backroom discussion between a composer, Gideon and the producers. And it's this very camp song that's very almost like Disney, and they're they're talking about the family, uh, the family audience. Uh, and then we see Gideon in a completely un- unrelated uh, uh, scene with his daughter, his teenage daughter, and the uh, it's preteen, preteen, pre-teen. Yeah, 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 preteen. She's still small. She's still small. Uh, she's not a little. She kid, looks about twelve. Yeah, I, that's perfect. I think, and uh, and it's it's it's. It's pretty sweet because they're dancing and obviously yeah. daddy's a dancer choreographer and she probably knows the trade and they're going around. They're having this conversation about him remarrying and they're doing these dances. And it's like our modern squeamish mind looks at this and priggishly is kind of like, oh, they're, yeah, it's gross. It's a father and daughter. But it's also still in that weird, ambiguous zone of sweetness. But then afterward, he uh, he after the, the daughter goes away, uh, he walks over to the piano and he plays this little theme literally just once just knocks it out with one hand and sure enough that theme is the theme that he adds to the camp song about the airlines to turn it into this psychosexual nightmare yeah <laughs> but uh and it's like was he was he reworking this into a psychosexual nightmare while dancing with his daughter i think so but i think that's completely fine i i, I think that's a perfect example and i think i what I love the most is how they handle his relationship with his daughter mm. is that it's not at all 
whatsoever. In fact, the the sexualized version of the dance, I don't think is sexual to him. He's not getting turned on by it. No, no. He's, it, he's using his own shit now for the art, and he was using his daughter purely as a tool in that scene, which that's is heartbreaking. I firmly believe, I am not in any way, shape, or form saying that it was a sexualized relationship, and that's something I kind of want to talk about, which is a big theme in this movie, Search which Gainsbourg. is the, the human body and the female body in particular, and what female bodies mean to this character. That And there's almost sort of like, I was talking about the innocence... It's almost like a sweetness to it, particularly the big number at the end, where it's the three women of his life, his daughter, his ex-wife, Audrey, and his uh, should-be current girlfriend, wife, Katie, and they're all dancing. And uh, something about seeing them um, all lined up like that, going through this intensely complicated choreography back in the 70s before we had too much tricks to fake it. So they were kudos to everyone because these numbers were fucking insane. Um but something about seeing them all lined up like that, that to this character, something like bodies in general and female bodies in particular mean something different to this guy. Uh, and they don't mean sort of the standard sexual Madonna whore tropes that we might have in puritanical America. I, I think they mean nothing to him. Yeah. Okay. Like, um, like everything. There's there's. Often there's like a line in a movie that is the movie right there. And there's a scene of him when he's in the hospital and he's going to the bathroom and he says to somebody, uh, I hate show business. And the person says, uh, you love show business. And he says, oh, you're right. <laughs> that, yeah, that this a is a, a, such a purely, and th I think this is, the movie does it well, a, one of the purest expressions of nihilism. Mm -hmm. I I have seen yeah very very sort of um, self laceratingly nihilistic because mm -hmm. this movie is about Bob Fosse mm -hmm. he was a obviously he was a great film director he was a great choreographer uh, you know this is about his sort of struggles with himself and the projects that he was doing and I think he probably did have a drug problem uh, at some point or maybe abused drugs or alcohol as was common at the time. It was the 70s. Um, and I'm sure he was not great to the women in his life. Um, so this is as much sort of uh, a work that's nihilistic about himself and his own relationship to the world and his place in it as it is uh, about, you know, Joe Gideon. Because I think Joe Gideon is mostly him. Yeah. He's, um, Bob Fosse is literally making a movie about like, what if I died? Died. What if I died? <laughs> Um, and to your point about the sexuality, um, there's a sort of a Don Draper-esque sequence uh, early on in the film where, uh, uh, as a child tap oh, dancer at a burlesque yeah. house, uh, Joe Gideon is basically out and out molested mm -hmm. yep. by strippers. And then humiliated on stage. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that informs his relationship to sexuality and his relationship to women very strongly um uh, yeah no i mean the the most fascinating scenes in this to me were the um the scenes when he's in the netherworld talking to death and uh touching on the nihilism where uh Oh, uh, uh, where, what does she, she asks, do you believe in love? And he says, I believe, I believe in saying, in saying, saying I, I love you. you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, what is it? 
because it works. Well, some of the time it works. It doesn't that's always just, work. And the thing is, he never tips his hand when he's even when he's talking to death in this most vulnerable of states. He never he's flirting, literally flirting with death. Uh, and uh, it's a character that even as he dies, we never see him vulnerable. <laughs> no. No, I, I I disagree because my favorite sequence in the film, uh, the only part I I um I cry a lot, <laughs> and I did not cry in this film except for the sequence when after his surgery, he wanders through the hospital and he's sort of really fucked up and mm-hmm. and he he comes upon uh, uh, an older woman in agony, yes, and he he kisses her, her and says yeah. I I think you're you're beautiful. Yeah. And she is at peace. Yeah. Cause he is just fucking God's gift to women. But he is so charming. But this is him being kind. Then then he goes off and he smashes his head against the wall. wall. That's actually that, that sequence has some of my favorite editing Mm -hmm. in the whole film. That's that speaks to what you were talking about of the movie just being so shaped. And every movie is shaped and defined by its editing. Ladies and gentlemen, Unless you're watching raw footage, you know, the editing's the most important job. Um, but when it's when the editing is so self-evidently good as this, um, I think it deserves special kudos. Because there's a difference between good editing and flashy editing. And this is good editing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, apparently the fictional editor within the film editing the comedy film was the editor of, of, uh, of All That Jazz. The actual wow. editor uh, reminds me of uh, the editing scenes in. Have you seen Modern Romance, the Albert Brooks? No, film? nope. Never mind then. <laughs> the the one of the editors in that film is played by John Landis oh. before he killed those two Vietnamese children. Oh, <laughs> I've been watching Twilight Zone and Vic Morrow. <laughs> Jordan Peele's doing it. Yes, that looks amazing. Yeah, it looks so good. Okay, several things about the film. One, it it I think on purpose did not uh, touch me emotionally. Mm. I felt no connection to it. Mm. I think on purpose by the film. The film is made by Bob Fosse for Bob Fosse. See, I, I felt a connection to it. Do you? A little bit. Yeah. Me too. Uh, especially the scene you were talking about, the one that made you cry, because I think... No movie has ever existed that hasn't made you cry a little bit, Justin. That's true. Uh, he he is not joking when he says he will cry at movies. Oh, oh, he mm. uh, he's a big old crybaby. We'll get to Frasier later, but I cried a few times in this episode. Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> um, oh my lord! But uh, I I don't know. I it's, I don't always feel moved when I watch this movie. Although I, I usually feel moved by How that many scene. Times have you watched this movie? And I've seen this, this movie a few times now. Um, but usually what I feel when I watch this is just sort of awe at something like this being pulled off. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. So fucking impressive. And, uh, it's so fucking impressive from every angle you could view it. The performances, the technical accomplishment. I, I, here's the thing about the tone though. It felt so fucking precious and cute. 
And what? it really got on my nerves a lot of the time. Fucking really? The fuck are you talking about? It really did. This was the bleakest, most dry... What, you, what movie did you the watch? The perform... Oh, it was... Now, now, that being said, it was... Here's where when I knew what the movie was. And it was literally the last shot. This often happens mm. for me. That it was like, I'm not... So the, the ending sequence is going on and on. And on and on. And on and on. And then I was I, I was hoping die. for this shot die. to come and th- he they do it. And it is a hard cut to him being zipped up in a body bag. And then end of film. And yeah, that, that tells me what the movie is. And so that's why I'm leaning towards no no no, I love this film. Mm. But the experience of being in the middle of it and watching it, I got frustrated many times. Um, uh, yeah, I, I could see being frustrated with it, you know, and I, and I think there's probably an argument to be made that it's, it, that might be by design. Definitely. Because he, it's, it's about being frustrated artistically and it's about a frustrating person. Yes. And in, in the middle of the, uh, the movie, there's an, uh, in movie review of the of the movie of of the movie that he had been editing which is yeah. a review of the of, movie of, we are watching yeah <laughs> i love how yeah no like it's a meta commentary yeah basically i was thinking about it because i'm a big old idiot and i uh was kind of hoping he would pull through uh and uh i was thinking about sort of the process of his death and thinking just just getting the facts all in a row even though they're pretty irrelevant uh, and I realized that his turn for the worse, basically the review killed him. Uh, he yeah, was, he yeah. wasn't doing great. He's probably not long for this world. But like the the plot line of his heart troubles and his health were stable, if not improving, until they were all sitting around watching the review, and then he was dead pretty quickly. Yeah. So uh, fuck you, uh, uh, film balloon review, review lady, lady. <laughs> and your green screen that you're sitting in front of. I, I had one more topic I wanted to discuss, but maybe we can well, we could save cut this and save it for some other thing. But the topic of Leland Palmer, the actress being named Leland Palmer. True, true. Leland Palmer, Twin Peaks. <laughs> Twin Peaks, nothing but Twin Peaks. But art within another piece of art. I respect this movie, and I think you've convinced me that I love it. I do not respect the art within the movie. <laughs> do you just not like theater? I I have a complicated relationship with theater. I kind of do, too. Yeah. I hate it. But, it's not my but, favorite. But, like, I hated the music. Oh, God, yeah, no. It was soulless late 70s commercial. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a Harry Nelson song in there. Uh, that, that, was in, that was great. I loved that. But how do you guys um, handle a movie about a man who can do no wrong? He is brilliant. He makes these edits in this film. He does film a lot and, of wrong. God damn it, he's right. It is better. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That he's such an incredible artist. Everybody is. People are weeping because he what he does is great. But I I don't that see film it. reviewer didn't like it. That's true. That's true. She said it was full of shit. Basically, I think it's it's not so much that he's great at everything. Is that when you get to a certain level in show business, you develop a lot of sycophants. 
I was just thinking that he was very much in a bubble, and that's really revealed in the film. In the film, in the film, uh, because uh, it's the cycle of his morning ritual, and th- this was almost like a multicam sitcom, which we'll get to later. Uh, there was the editing room, there was the theater, there was his apartment. Uh, and basically nothing besides until we get to the hospital. And even that was pretty close and in tight. Uh, it was claustrophobic. He, New York City is claustrophobic. Uh, uh, this, he, you know, he's in a bubble. He's in his little sycophantic bubble. My thoughts are it's a, it's a great film. It's, I think it's the kind of film that everybody should see once. I'll agree with that. At least. I just, and you don't have to like it. I can definitely see people not liking it because, it does have that 70s pacing, like uh, especially at the end. Um, you have to kind of roll with what it's doing by the end of it. And if you don't, then you're just going to hop off and hate it. Um, but uh, great film, great performances, brilliantly edited. Uh, all that jazz. Shut yeah. the fuck up, Frank. Frank. Vince Staples. I have to pee. Bitch, you thirsty. Please grab Sprite. Get the fuck out of here. Go pee. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go hitting, pee. I'm hitting right. pause. Let's both hit pause. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, pause. Vince, Vince Staples. Staples! 2015 debut full-length record, summertime 06. Last week, we talked about Elvis Costello. I was listening to this. It was such a mixture of political, uh, political consciousness, vulnerability, and sort of the fronting and bravado of trap hip-hop. Frank, do you think this was a bit of a satirical character? I don't think it was so much of a character, so much as it was a representation of maybe uh, Vince Staples at a different time in his life, uh, uh, a reflection of maybe who he was as a younger man uh, growing up on the north side of Long Beach, California. Okay, I was wondering um, where Long Beach was. In a City really was. bad neighborhood. Uh, he had at one point joined the Crips up there um and uh it's it's more of a reflection of a past self and uh, a a resting with a past self than it is uh, a character the way uh that we had talked about elvis costello last week so it's it's more of a quadrophenia than at this year's yeah it's more of a quadrophenia (laughs) the musically did feel very uh claustrophobic it was a very dark album yeah, it's very bleak sounding and kind of depressing i don't listen to a lot of hip-hop uh so take this with a grain of salt but this was one of my favorite hip-hop records production wise it was so it was very often uh hypnotic yeah uh the album art is a nod to hidden pleasures from joy division joy division And it had a similarly sort of dark and ominous uh, composition, which is mostly courtesy of, what is it, No ID? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, Not not to get off on too uh, much of a tangent, but you you mentioned uh, Hidden Pleasures. Do you remember when Disney World released a t-shirt of Mickey Mouse with the Hidden Pleasures album (laughs) on it? And they had to immediately take it down because everyone was like, uh, he killed himself. (laughs) (laughs) I do not recall this. Yeah, that that was the thing that happened. <sighs> anyway, so do you anyway. remember when um, Disney actually cast this guy who m- many years later committed suicide uh, uh, as a as a genie? That was fucked up on their parts. Oh, f- God! <laughs> Robin Justin. Williams killed himself. Everybody remember that, Justin. 
Justin, how do you feel about this album? I li- mm-hmm. go ahead. I listened to most of it last week. <laughs> okay, I liked it. Yeah, it's a good I, album. It's um, what I find is um, a lot of the um, uh, hip hop music that I hear about that is like undergroundish um, is all dark and spooky. Mm. Um, like witch house. Yeah. That's a genre. Guys, I didn't really listen to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's so that's so staying now. I, I listened to some of it. I like it. I like uh, it. I just, which, did you I just even to, uh, did you listen but, to the big single? Let's touch on this real quick. That this is the second episode of a three white guys sitting around talking. Oh, Fraser transition. Not yet. Uh mm. uh some white guys sitting around talking in a podcast called Plaid Lads about this record, picked by our Plaid Lad Frank McDevitt, Frank mm. McDipshit, uh, <laughs> and, aka uh, Little Baby Boy, Little Baby Boy, aka Little Baby Boy, and represent. he's got a, he's got a song on there that pretty explicitly refers to the appropriation of black culture in, in America yeah. by white folk, and I listened to it and I it really like resonated with me and it made me question us talking about it. And I was just like, oh, wow, is this like some appropriation right now, some appropriation in action? And then I look at the uh, the album and I realized that one of the bonus tracks on there is a session he did with the BBC. And then I went, oh, yeah, he's one he, of those. He got guys. famous pretty quick. Um, he was like underground for kind of a hot second. And he did a lot of work with um, Odd Future, who oh, okay. are a California hip hop group. Uh, we know that are now very famous. But we're previously like kind of a weird underground thing. Justin, what are you whispering? Is there something you need to tell the front of the class? Tom just burped directly into the <laughs> microphone when he could have turned his head. He's been getting on our shit about mic placement and, and echo. And you're just burping directly into the microphone. <laughs> Oh, uh, let's leave that in. Oh, that's staying. That's staying. Frank, say yeah, something smart that. about this record. <laughs> it's a good record. You should listen to it if you haven't Shut already. The you- Shut up, the fuck Frank. up, Frank! Plant, 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 Frazier! <laughs> Dr. Frazier Crane is still get, trying to get used to his life, his new life with 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 his fa- uh, father in Seattle. And, and Daphne Moon living in his home. He's getting frustrated, so angry. Oh, just want some peace and quiet. But he can't get any. Not at home, not at work, not back at home again, not at Cafe Nervosa because his brother comes in. What with fresh hell is this? this? But he comes to a realization later on when his father, who consistently proves to be a better man than Fraser Crane, says no i want to stay and we can work this out and hilarity (laughs) is so ensuing right now houston we've got frazier (laughs) in frazier space quest 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 (laughs) now guys i forgot to watch this episode (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) what parts of 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 the assignments did you actually do i did i did watch this i watched it it made me cry on a few occasions this is a great really so 
This got you, huh? This, this episode, in in true great television show uh, um, uh, fashion, the first episode is a great pilot, but but this episode, this is the show. It is all there, and it is the introduction of Fraser Crane as a pure and utter asshole. <laughs> yeah, the the sequence. I, I still think Martin is is prickly. Martin in this. Martin is prickly, but I have to say now my my theory. Obviously, there was a learning curve with all the characters, uh, and they were kind of stiff and not like themselves. But I still think John Mahoney is a genius, and he was doing it deliberately. R.I.P. And in this episode, he, I don't think there is a shadow of a doubt that he is 100% perfectly dialed in as Martin Crane in this mm. episode. Oh, we everybody. see the transition. Yeah, they're that's they're sort on of their game. The, the, the salty sourpuss is perfectly mixed with that lovable twinkle in the eye, mm. sort of innocent, cute, naivete of his everyman quality and i think i think um they did some retooling between the pilot and this episode as is often the case because both in conversation with niles fraser says that the reason uh his father came to live with him is because fraser wanted to get close with him which is not the reasoning whatsoever from the pilot No. (laughs) no it was a total guilt trip deal uh not putting him into a home uh, originally, so they they toned that back and and have perfectly set the tone for a wonderful series to come. Uh, um, go ahead. So, I, have we talked about how Justin killed John Mahoney? Uh, uh, mm, no. The like the day before John Mahoney died, Justin um, besmirched Barton Fink. and literally john mahoney died the next day john mahoney is incredible in that film um i have said i just do not care for that film as much as i feel i should yeah and you're wrong about that that's a wrong feeling for you to have fuck barton fink i'm glad john mahoney's dead (laughs) (laughs) no i'm not i love him i miss him so much every day he was such a handsome boy this <laughs> okay he does have that sparkle he's a handsome man yeah <laughs> my girlfriend actually said that she said you could tell he's a handsome older man who mm-hmm. was probably a handsome younger man well now it's staying uh so oh my god um we meet bulldog briscoe in this one i f- i fucking hate the bulldog i'm sorry oh i love bulldog I because you don't like no wait, 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 wait. you you mean you don't like bulldog no i don't the like the, the sticks it's total bs <laughs> bulldog the show doesn't know this but what i love about bulldog and especially them together in this episode is bulldog is uh like pure obvious toxic masculinity right yeah, yeah. And the sh- what the show likes to do is compare him with Frasier. Yes. And Frasier does not believe he is this same type of person, but he totally is. He is. He's, He's just, just also he a classist. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
He's also a bourgeois. Uh, but I, I don't like Dan Butler's performance as the bulldog. Oh, it's what? great! It's 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 lovably toxic masculinity. <laughs> I th- I think it is not funny. I think he he overplays his jokes or underplays his jokes. I also think he's just a bad actor. Well, like his well, face doesn't change. I think there are um, the C level characters on this show are all uh, huge characters. They're they're all. Um, uh, uh, kabuki characters. Oh, what's you know? the, what's what's the guy the 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 restaurant critic? Gil. Uh, no, no, I forget. But, I remember but also Gil. I remember when I started my rewatch. You were saying, Justin. You were like, Oh yeah, there's like a grunge character yes. in yeah. these early episodes. What the fuck were you talking about? Oh, you'll meet him. Oh, you'll meet him. No, I've I've seen every episode of the show now he's and reseen it. What fucking grunge character? He's a barista. There was the, the He's not a barista. He goes out with Daphne. No, that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking no. about he works for the building. Yeah, that's like eight or nine seasons in. That, no. That's like uh, Leroy yeah. or Elroy. No, that's like early. No, 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 no. We'll get there. We'll get okay. we'll get there in the coming weeks. Okay, and it, I think I know what you're talking about, and it's like half an episode. Y- yes. <laughs> uh, Justin, you just latch on to these mini characters like uh, Cam Winston. Cam Winston is is uh, uh, I the love the true him. protagonist of the series. If you think about he it, kind of is. If you really want to think about it, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there, fellows. We'll get there in like twelve years. Or however long it's going to take. I've done the math. It's probably like more like three. <laughs> yeah. So we also get acquainted with Roz's uh, unapologetic. Now, now she's 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 a punchline in the show, but her sexuality is unapologetic in a way that maybe unbeknownst to itself is uh, pretty uh, pretty woke. Yeah. She's so sexy that Justin had a sex dream about her. I uh, did. Okay. It's a natural <laughs> thing. It was not a wet dream. I did not jizz in my (laughs) pants because I sleep in the nude, fellas. What else do you want to know about me? It's showtime, folks. We're going to bring it in a whole new door. (laughs) Yes, I had a sex dream about Roz Doyle. Not Perry Gilpin, the actress, the character of Roz Doyle. I was watching a lot of Frasier at the time. It was a rough time in my life. But I don't regret it. I think she's an incredible character. She's bad strong. Actress. I think <laughs> bad actress. I think she's a fine actress. This is a, I think a, a top tier episode. The it's pretty good sequence. Um, there's a great line where he mentions Starbucks. Yes. Yeah, there are a few like this show is set in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, like moments like oh my yes my coffee from. Starbucks wink and oh we have a caller from Everett a neighborhood of Seattle and which Tom knows now because I went there not too long ago back when we were going to do a Frasier podcast exclusively and I was supposed to do a bunch of remotes but instead I just enjoyed myself so I when I was in Seattle I stayed with my friend who lived in a neighborhood called uh, Queen Anne and Seattle's former co-worker of ours yeah and uh, there's a park in there. I think it's called Perry Park. Berry Park. Anyway, uh, it's got a beautiful view of sort of the sort of the downtown skyline. And I uh, took some pictures there, the skyline. And I later found out from my embarrassingly nerdy research that 
the backdrop used as the view from Fraser's condominium in the Elliott Bay Tower. Uh, the tower doesn't exist, but the photograph was taken at that same park. So I actually was standing in the only spot that Fraser's condo could actually be. Huh. Given the view, so I was Very there. Very cool. Is there like Fraser memorabilia there? Is there like? Uh, there is not. <laughs> in fact, mm. when you're in Seattle, it's kind of, and I, I think Justin, you've got a factoid about this that it really does not feel like the town where Fraser would take place. Honestly, mm. Fraser should take place in Boston with a lot of like the old money. It's Nouveau Riche. <laughs> it's Silicon Valley money. It's it's Boeing money. It's it's not this sort of old. Uh, like, like supposedly Maris, sure. They made, they made Maris old money, but they made her rich off of like timber to like make it fit in Seattle. Oh no, 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 my friend. It's not really timber. Do you remember what it really is? It's urinal cakes. Urinal cakes. Urinal cakes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so, but uh, Seattle doesn't feel like the town that Fraser would be set. Like I saw, I saw the Seattle opera. And it was this glass and steel building that was very uh, modern and, uh, you know, and Seattle's a very liberal, uh, eccentric, uh, uh, woke kind of city. And it just doesn't feel like the stuffy, sophisticated town laden with West Coast jazz that they make Mm. it out to be. Yeah, I mean, I I think moving it to Seattle was... uh, it ended up being the right call for the show because you have to differentiate it enough from Cheers, and how do you get more different than putting it on the complete other side of the country? Yeah, um, but you're right. You know, uh, Seattle's not like that. A psychologist who lives in Seattle wouldn't wear an Armani jacket; they would wear a North Face jacket. Oh yeah, that's the yeah. pithiest way I can put it. Uh, how many breasts <laughs> were on the suits in this episode, boys? Uh, I give it five Steve Harveys. Five Steve Harveys. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. So many breasts on those suits. So many breasts on Roz Doyle. Jesus colonized Christ. Justin's dreams. That's standard. Uh, Did you make that sound at the end? All right, so how are we feeling, lads? Angry! <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you angry that I that I outed your sex dream? No, I'll speak about any sex dream you want. I could tell you some. <laughs> the, oh, guys, you know what we didn't fucking talk about? Speaking of sex dreams, I want to know if you have a sex dream about this particular person. <laughs> we didn't talk about Gritty. Oh! oh! I first, I've been hearing about Gritty, not knowing what Gritty is. I'm not a sporty guy. Um, and I saw Tom showed me Gritty for the first time. I, I don't. I, I do not approve. <laughs> I, I'm pro Gritty. You're pro Gritty. I love Gritty. I think Gritty's hilarious. Yeah, I, I'm amazing. not a Phil. I'm not. I'm from the rough uh, uh, Philadelphia metro area, but I'm actually a die-hard New Jersey Devils fan. So I always mm. kind of look at the Flyers as being kind of trashy and tacky. I think it's perfect. I don't identify with gritty, but I knowing Philadelphia, knowing Philadelphians, particularly hockey fans from Philadelphia, it I'm looks much, like a Flyers fan. It looks like a Flyers fan. Uh, it's perfect. I went to high school with dudes who looked like gritty and wore Flyers jerseys all the time. Mm. All right, now that we're done talking about Gritty, let's talk about our feelings and our feelings for Gritty. <laughs> no. Justin, how are you feeling? I'm fine. Tom, how are you feeling? 
The moment Justin said fine, he looked me dead in the eyes with the most doe-eyed, vulnerable look. I could this see is, his tear I've ducts opening. I've seen that opening. desperation that, that almost says kill me, please. <laughs> Justin is always uh, making faces, but he's got these beautiful baby blue eyes that he rarely lets out of their he's little... He's a little baby boy. I, I recently, um, I have a Nintendo Switch and I've got my me character... Uh, avatar of myself and I realized that looks too happy so I made him sadder oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Justin for for context once said to a co-worker who said that they would like to be a trapeze artist I too would like to hang from the ceiling <laughs> Shout out to Lindsay. Fucking things I've ever heard. (laughs) Shout Shout out out to to Lindsay. Lindsay. You you've skipped this part. (laughs) You'll never know we did this, and we'll leave it in. (laughs) Oh Lord. Okay. Uh, So, um, Frank, how you feeling? I'm feeling okay. Aforementioned job interview tomorrow's got me on a little bit of a a high note. Uh, If I don't get it, I'm going to spiral right back down to depression, baby. Don't you worry about it. Stay tuned next week. Frank's depression. Oh yeah, it's depression Frank. time. Frank's wild years. Tom, how you feeling? I'm doing fine. This was I'm kind of a dark doing episode. well. I'm doing grand because we are the plaid lads, and we won't give up without a. Plaid lads. Wait a Thank you. <laughs> I'm Tom. Tom is Justin. We're done. Fuck Frank. off, everyone. Fuck you, Frank. Shut up. I love you. You said I love you last time. I love you, my little no, baby boy. Little baby. <laughs> I love you too, Justin. I love you, J Baby. You both disgust me. What? Play date. Play dead. <laughs> Let's go on this week. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Still recording. Two. One. Blast off.